you're listening to the Down East Mike Podcast, the quirky little podcast from Maine. And now, your host, Down East Mike. Hi, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to the Down East Mike Podcast. I'm Down East Mike, and we are starting off with a just a beautiful day in Down East Maine here, coming to you from the undisclosed, generally Down East location of Down East Maine. Uh, we have a little bit of rain coming through actually, but uh, the stretch ahead of weather looks really, really good. We have an exciting podcast today with all kinds of new and old news. We have uh, uh, Maine's Nervous Ticks, Two Bodies in a Pink Dory, a towboat besting the Dark Harbor Racer, and then an interview with Aunt Emma of Aunt Emma's Down East Bigfoot Shop in UFO Emporium. That is an interview you don't want to miss. Well, maybe you want to miss it. If you're new to the podcast, we will start off with our disclaimer that some of this is whimsy, some of this is true, and the interpretation of it all is entirely up to you. This is Wednesday, May 4th, 2022. And let's start off with our word of the day, toggery. We came across this word in an advertisement in the old newspaper, and it was quite interesting to see that word hanging out there. What, like, what is that? Toggery, the definition is clothing. So synonyms are attire, Clobber, which is British slang, clothes, clothing, costumery, dress, duds, garments, vestments, vesture, wear. Some examples of toggery in a sentence, inmates wearing regulation prison toggery. I had never heard of this word. I've been around for a long time. Maybe they just don't use it in Maine. Another example, in the post-housebound era, if casual toggery becomes the norm for work, will underwire bras go the way of ties, suits, and vertiginous heels? My goodness. Toggery first came into use in print in 1810. And some of the other words coming into vogue at that time were bandsman, bang up, bund, Chlorine, Klansman, Forest Green, Durham, Forethoughtful, French Cuff, Editor-in-Chief. Before 1810, they didn't have any Editors-in-Chief. They must have just had Editors. That was our word of the day. Not, not all that complicated. Nice and simple for a Wednesday. We'll just keep it simple. How about our birthdays for today? Happy birthday today to Bethany in Bangor. She will be 42. Bethany works in housekeeping at Northern Light Healthcare. No doubt if you're in the area, you'll someday need her help one way or another. Joan P. of Liberty is celebrating her 71st birthday today. Joan recently retired after many years in the garden industry. Happy birthday to you, Joan. Well, some ticks in Maine have reason to be nervous. I have a story here about a family that uh, relocated from Florida to start an organic farm in Maine last year. 
and they're finding out that ticks are very, very prevalent in Maine. A lady uh, with uh, two other people, they're turning three acres of a farm in friendship into organic gardens and orchards. They and a team of volunteers are also starting a healing center. I don't know which one is more powerful there. Uh, they said that they knew there were ticks in Maine, but until this spring they had no idea how bad they really were. And uh, to quote here, I had heard from someone firsthand who had gotten Lyme disease, and another friend had told me about ticks in Maine, so I was aware of them, but when we moved to our farm, we started seeing a lot of them, and they were so aggressive, and it's just crazy. Now, Downey's Mike, when he came home from his, his real job yesterday, he was out back. Well, I'm Downey's Mike. And anyway, after about an hour of just being on the patio in the sunshine, and I came back inside, I could feel something crawling on me. Sure enough, a little deer tick. And you got to wonder where they come from. I'm out in the patio and there's no grass around. They're aggressive. So this, this group here, after researching various ways to get rid of the uh, ticks without using chemicals, they decided to conduct a series of controlled burns on it using propane torches. So they started keeping a glass jar then they put the ticks in that they pull off themselves during the day and they said the jar is filling up fast. Is that nasty or what? What if you came downstairs in the middle of the night to grab a glass of water and you grab the tick jar by mistake? I hope there's quite a cover on it. The situation is really so bad with the ticks. If you want to sit down, don't because you will get covered. You need to squat. And then she added, we need to take action. As bad as the situation may look on the farm in friendship, it's not shaping up to be as bad as it was last year, according to one of Maine's top tech experts. That would be good on a t-shirt. It would say, Down East Mike, top Maine tech expert. In 2021, we had an absolute explosion of dog tick numbers and activity said Griffin Dill, the manager of the Tick Lab at the University of Maine. At this time last year, we had already gotten 300 reports and we generally get 500 to 600 over an entire year. That's just because people are home bored and pulling ticks off themselves. Wonder what kind of security they have in place at the Maine Tick Lab. Who guards the door there? They have a can of raid? Uh, Dill says the explosion in numbers people are seeing now is because we are getting into the time of year where multiple tick species are active. Early on, it was the deer ticks, and now we are seeing dog ticks. So you have this combination of both. The, uh, this group, the farmers there, they have torches ready to go, and this week they will talk to officials at the local fire department about how to safely and effectively conduct the burns. Here's a hint, you probably can't. After the scorching is complete, they said the plan is to create a wide buffer of wood chips to discourage ticks from moving back in. And I picture the ticks with their little hobo bags and cardboard suitcases looking at that row of that wide buffer of wood chips and saying, nope, let's go find some other place. 
Anyway, that's the modern news. That's about as deep as we want to get into that. How about some old-timey news from this this day in, in 1891 in Bangor, Maine? Uh, this from the Lewiston Evening Journal. Within a few days, there is to be brought to Bangor a steamer to be repaired, one having quit, uh, quite a history in which does not, as was intended she should, eclipse the main built craft in style, speed, and comfort. It will be remembered that down on Long Island in Penobscot Bay and in the town of Islesboro, there was built last year at a point known as Dark Harbor, the swell retreat of all the Atlantic coast. Now, has anybody seen that movie, the Dark Harbor movie? Some of it was filmed there. It's pretty bad. Swell, that was the name of the, of the uh, retreat. Uh, in the sense that none but men who could count their wealth by a million dollars or over, or men who were related to millionaires or were themselves heirs to million, together with the ladies of the households, were invited or expected to patronize the place. It does not seem that these people who put out in a quiet way over, uh, uh, and they are, for they froze out about every main citizen who went that way last summer, although they did prepare an elaborate layout for Governor Burley and his family who had been invited there. They should use periods occasionally in their sentences. You run out of breath just trying to read it. But unfortunately for the chief magistrate of the court, the day was hot and the horse flesh of the island petered out so the distinguished guest uh, could not reach the famous retreat. I, I don't know how far it is to Dark Harbor, but to have the horses get too tired. The millionaires lost the sight of our good-looking and able governor and the latter lost a rousing good dinner. So I we have no idea how that picnic ended. The millionaires who came down for a brief season were charmed with the situation and exclusiveness of the place, the only fault being that the $40,000 house in which many lived and which is known as the Islesboro Inn was not large enough. And one evening last summer, they told an architect to draw plans look into the enlargement, which he did. The millionaires looked them over and approved with some slight changes and told him to go ahead and have everything in readiness by July 1st of this year. What will the extension cost, one of the members happened to ask. I should say about $10,000, not over that, was the answer. Tell you what you do, said William D. Windsor, director of the Pennsylvania Railroad, president of the Windsor Line from the Providence to Philadelphia and of the Boston and Philadelphia Steamship Company, and director and large owner in the Baltimore and Norfolk steamers from Boston. They go on and on. Tell you what you do. You put in $12,000 where you figure on 10000 and then send in your bill. Orders have been given for half a dozen cottages and some are now well underway. Of course, nothing goes cheap up, up here. And they go on and on. They get the uh, millionaire fellows, uh, George Kimball, blah, blah, blah. Um, after the Dark Harbor people gathered last season, or about the time they were to gather, they found they had no boat for public service. Of course, there were lots of fast and beautiful steam yachts 
owned among them and beautiful sailing craft as well. But what was wanted was a sort of plebeian boat just to carry the luggage. Don't you know? Uh, the express, the mail, etc. And still this boat must be a craft worthy of being owned uh, in and sailing from Dark Harbor. What was more natural than these rich men should do something out of the common sort in the matter of this boat? They went over to Boston and saw Burgess, the man who designed the Puritan, Pilgrim, Mayflower, and Volunteer, and by their order he made a model after the style of a Puritan for a fast steam craft, and then in order that the job might be well done and not bungled up down in Bath, where they only build regular towboats, they sent this model out to Mr. Kimball and asked him to build a boat on Lake Erie. So up in uh, Lake Erie, they built a boat called the Emmeline. And then at the expense of about $500, that boat was brought across Lake Erie through the Wellsen Canal down Lake Ontario to Oswego, then to Troy, and then down Hudson to New York, through the Sound and over the Shoals to Rockland, where she was put upon the route to Dark Harbor and Castine, making daily trips. If you're still keeping track with me here, kudos to you. I'm starting to lose control of this story. The trip from her launching place to Rockland uh, and up the Sound was 1,046 and a half miles by the log, and it took 15 days. So anyway, the local skippers, they'd heard about the coming boat and what she was expected to do in the way of speed, and they all thought they'd, boat, they'd beat it when the Lake Erie craft came their way. But as a matter of fact, all steered clear of her waiting for some other fellow to get beaten first. This reminds me of the time I heard about the Daily Running Group in, in Bangor, Maine. We used to go out running at lunchtime, and they said when you were running with the lawyers, the lawyers had an attitude, well, they didn't want to beat, they didn't want to win, uh, but they didn't want you to win either. So that makes for an awful, an awful uh, competitive situation. Anyway, that was an aside. But what, so they, they didn't want to get, uh, they wanted one of the other ones to get beaten first. Uh, but there was one of the lot who had plenty of local pride and pluck, and he said he didn't believe the folks were so very fly out on Lake Erie as to be able to produce world beaters. And he coolly announced his intention of locking horns with the Emmeline the first time he came across her. This man was the skipper of the tugboat, the Bismarck, but though only a tug, the Bismarck is one of the latest and finest on the Atlantic coast and happens to be, by all odds, the fastest steamer, big or little, sailing the main coast. No, the craft that could take a foremaster loaded with 1,600 tons of ice and a deck load of lumber and walk Penobscot Bay at a 10-knot gate, that's pretty impressive, was not to be scared by even a Burgess yacht from Lake Erie and the Lake Shore and Michigan railroad yards. Now, it so happened that a few days after the Emmeline had been put upon the run, that Emmeline's a fancy boat, and after the new had been worn out from her machinery, the Bismarck took a big three-master down the western passage and out past Whitehead into sea. So when she came back in past Whitehead and up through the ridges and past Owl's Head, 
and she ran plump upon the Emmeline coming out from behind the land and bound for Dark Harbor with a load of millionaires aft and a load of baggage forward. The Bismarck's fires were in fine snaps and she let loose upon the Lake Erie specimen of naval architecture and go and beat her so handsomely in a ten-mile run that the towboat men were disappointed at the size of the game that they had brought down. The Emmeline was all right as Lake Erie boats go, but she did not have a hold upon the water sufficient for the salt water of the bay. She'd drawn several inches less than when in Lake Erie, and then Mr. Burgess had forgotten to put a saloon upon the hull, and there was but poor shelter on board for the millionaires when wind and rain came. So the Emmeline was taken in hand by the main shipwrights, and upon her hull was put a cabin. This put her several inches lower in the water, and then it was found that her shaft did not turn true, and Bangor men will be called upon to correct this evil. So very interesting that you would have a boat that was, uh, you know, essentially tested in fresh water, then they put it in salt water, and it, it threw things off. Quite the story about that, about that boat. Uh, Let's look at, we have some other stories from around that time. The Rockland Towboat Company, owing to an increase of business, have bought a new tugboat of 26 tons. Uh, it's reported that Harry Bishop of Perry scored $250 last winter from the sale of 15 barrels of pickerel, which he caught from Boyden Lake and marketed in Boston. Okay, our story about the pink dory. Two dead bodies found floating in a dory near Pemaquid. Downeast Mike was down to Pemaquid this week, and it was spectacular. Just a beautiful spring day. Clear, cool, but sunny, and uh, just a little bit of wind, a few puffy clouds in the sky, some tourists scrambling over the rocks. A wonderful time of year to make your annual pilgrimage to Pemaquid. This is from 1891, reminds you. Revenue cutter Woodbury arrived at Boothby Harbor Monday night, bringing the body of an unknown man in a dory, painted pink inside and out, in which he was found drifting Monday afternoon three miles east by south from Pemaquid Point Light. When the dory was first sighted, the officers thought it was a lobster fisherman, but running through the wreckage among the driftwood, they ran down to the dory, and when brought alongside, there were two dead bodies in it. Both were washed overboard, one being lost, and the other saved with much difficulty. The sea was running very heavy at that time. A description of the body saved is medium complexion, smooth face, five foot six inches tall, about 24 years of age, a dark brown striped coat, no vest, Blue pleated front flannel shirt, gray flannel shirt, red flannel undershirt, blue overalls, gray striped pants, gray drawers, heavy brown woolen socks, and an old pair of rubber boots. The hair is cut short, and one of the upper teeth has gone in front. The other man, as near as the others of the cutter could tell, was somewhat taller in thin, light complexion, brown hair, smooth, uh, smooth face, brown shirt, and blue overalls. From appearances, the body had been dead about six hours. The painter on the dory is cut short, which would indicate that there had been a wreck or collision from which the unfortunates had started out in haste. 
So not to denigrate the passing, this is a sad story, but just a little thought, if you if you had expired and you were in a bright pink dory, it seems like that's the kind of uh, funeral procession that some people would pay for. And I would think they would just want to put a toe tag on the two of them and gently push that dory right back out to sea. I mean, that was a rough life. A lot of people uh, passed out were fishing out there at the time. Some other news. Portland seems to be growing towards the west. They're talking of a national bank in a savings bank at the west end of Portland, 1891. The small boat fishermen of Cape Elizabeth have been doing well lately. Cod and haddock are plenty off the Cape, and the boats return with large fares, which bring high prices. There's a rumor that a steam wheel will be built in Bath this season. It's a bit of gossip, interesting to the blowers and others. This has been a very fat spring for the lobstermen along the main coast, but the price at the traps has dropped 40 cents a hundredweight in the past week. Consumers are now having their innings. A big acreage of paving has been laid out for Portland, this year mostly on Preble, Congress, and Commercial Streets. This is always a satisfactory way to spend money. 1891, they were paving the streets in Portland. There are many rumblings and grumblings in Westbrook yet uh, over the defeat of that electric railroad scheme. They must have shot that down. Nearly six years ago, Captain J.B. Eaton of Harrington brought from the Straits of Sunda a colony of Java sparrows. The colony numbered nearly 40 songsters, but withstanding the precaution, notwithstanding precaution, that has been taken to preserve them, the main climate has proven too severe for the birds, and they continued to dwindle away until the colony was reduced to two. This spring, one of the remaining pair succumbed. Mrs. Eaton has had it mounted, and the dead songster will occupy a place on her mantle. That's a sad end to those little birds. Uh, last story here. A well-known citizen put a stop last evening to the practice of throwing clay balls at windows, which had been pursued by the bad boys in his neighborhood, much to the detriment of the windows and the disgust of the people in the vicinity. Last night, one of the windows of his residence was smashed by a clay ball thrown by a youngster, and he determined to bear with it no longer. Sallying forth into the darkness, he did a little shrewd detective work and captured several of the ringleaders and so effectively punished them that there will be no more mud throwing in that locality, at least for some time to come. Sounds like some justice. All right, another story here. Uh, from Kennebunkport to Benjamin S. Wakefield, a fisherman of Cape Porpoise, was capsized from his boat off Wood Island Monday afternoon and drowned. A man with him was saved. Wakefield's body was recovered. He was about 50 years of age and leaves a family. My uncle used to say, if you want to fish out of Cape Porpoise, you better have a pickup truck and you ought to have a boat. I guess times have changed there. All right, it's time for our main mammal of the moment. And today, our mammal is a marine mammal, the beluga whale, the white whale. Oh, we're going to try this one. 
Delphin Apteris lucus. It's an Arctic and subarctic Arctic whale. It's one of uh, two members of the family Monodontae, along with the narwhal, and is the only member of the genus Delphi Apteris. It's also known as the white whale, as it is the only whale to regularly occur with this color. The sea, also called the sea canary, due to its high-pitched calls and the melon head, although that more commonly refers to the melon-headed whale. We want to make a joke about being melancholy, but we won't. The beluga is adapted to life in the Arctic. It has features that differentiate it from other whales. Among these are its all-white color in the absence of a dorsal fin. No dorsal fin, and that allows it to swim under the ice with ease. It possesses a distinctive protuberance at the front of its head, which houses an echolocation organ called the melon which in this species is large and deformable. The beluga's body size is between that of a dolphin and a true whale, males growing up to 18 feet long and weighing up to 3,500 pounds. The whale has a stocky body. They just look kind of magical. They're like a unicorn in the water. Uh, sense of hearing is highly developed, and its echolocation allows it to move about and find breathing holes under the sheet ice. Uh, from the Banco Daily News back in 2014, they're recounting a, a story where the beluga whales had showed up in uh, Bangor. Sixty years ago, a couple of unexpected guests drew thousands of people to the local waterfront. Traffic stopped. Children hung over bridge railings to get a glimpse. But this was no concert. On April 26, 1954, a strange white creature was spotted swimming in the Penobscot River according to Bangor Daily News articles. Fascinated crowds lined the banks of the river. For about a week, the white thing, which usually appeared for short stints as a hump in the water, moved up and down the river between, uh, from one end of Penobscot to the other, probably in pursuit of a pool of smelts or some other stock of fish. Uh, Steve Robbins was a nine-year-old living on South Main Street in Brewer at the time. He remembers his family going down to a pier near Connor Cole and Company to get a glimpse. No one was allowed on the pier, but it was crowded that day as were both riverbanks. He remembers his older brother going out in a boat, possibly to get a closer look. A few other curious people in small boats pursued the whale as well. Uh, one lady says, I remember pointing down the water. It's something white and saying, there, that's it. It became known as the Penobscot River's Moby Dick. Um, it gets kind of sad there. They harass the whale, as people will do. Uh, local police ended up going to the Sea and Shore Fisheries Commission to see how best to get rid of the whale so the city can move on. And they were talking about shooting it. And eventually, uh, the whales just went back out to sea. They say whales plural there. Uh, we also found from uh, 1893 the white whale caught in Bucksport, Maine, May 27th. The white whale, which has been spouting around in the Penobscot River between Bucksport and Winterport, has been caught by Mr. Whitmore of Verona, over in Verona Island. Professor E.F. Hitchings, instructor in natural sciences at the East Maine Conference Seminary, purchased, they call it a fish, and Captain Lowell of Tug Agnes towed it to the Bucksport 
where it was removed from the water to the seminary building. Professor F.C. Ball then took several photographs of it. I wonder if they still exist. Professor Hitchings will preserve the skeleton for the cabinet uh, at the seminary. The fish for the cabinet uh, will be, is about seven and a half feet in length. So that seminary building's still there. I don't know if, uh, or they were going to remodel it. And then one other story, 1893, May 17th. This must have been the same whale. That white whale recently reported at Hopswell has taken a cruise down to Penobscot and is having fun racing with the tugboats. Well, uh, so right now we have uh, our interview with Aunt Emma and from her, her Bigfoot UFO Emporium down east. And uh, we'll be right back right after that. How did you get your start? We're, we're so glad to have you on ATM. Well, I, I started the shop back in 1974. We moved up from 74. Yeah. And my husband was ill at the time. Oh, Henry. We needed to have a business where we could have some revenue year-round. Right. We And being in Spain, of course, is a wonderful area to explore these things. And so that's how we got started. And how is Henry today? How's he doing on TM? You know, Henry passed away oh, quite a few years ago. Oh, I'm sorry. The shop going. Sorry to hear. Now, what do you have in the shop? Uh-huh. A number of big stuffed Bigfoots. Big stuffed Bigfoots. He's about eight feet tall. Eight and feet. when you come in the door, he's right there to greet you. Yeah, I've he's seen them. for sale, but I do have a lot of other ones that are for sale. They are available. So do you have any stories you could share with us? What's your favorite? There were some interesting cases. There was the one um, in 1985 in the Allagash. Where four brothers were in a boat and they were abducted by UFOs and they woke up at a campfire afterwards and they were sitting there with Stephen King and Bigfoot and they don't remember how they got there except they were, so there was missing time and so many other elements to it, very mysterious. That sounds like... Auntie M, that sounds... Oh, no, it's real. It really happened. Oh, my goodness. And for the longest time, the story could be corroborated by what they'd, what they'd seen, but for the longest time, uh, there was denial, but I think there was acceptance that it really did happen to them. I, I struggle with some of the veracity of your statements, Auntie M. Okay. Um, on Mount Katahdin, a young boy was lost on 
a book. And oh, miraculously, he appeared in the village square one day, and Bigfoot had carried him down and placed him there like an offering yeah. to the villagers. And all was well. So Bigfoot has a benevolent heart, it turns out. Almost like a religious, uh, a religious. No, real, too. That's a real story. Oh, well, I guess, I, yeah. Well, we do have some specials. Now that we're on your show uh, for this week, Let's my podcast, when you come in, we'll give you 10% off any Bigfoot or UFO memorabilia. Fantastic. We have the UFOs with the Downey slant. These are the lobster trap UFOs where it's a UFO inside a oh, lobster trap. Very. They're on special for $150 US. Very nice. Very nice. I could get two of those. Or so. Normally 300 Okay. We have lots of specials just like that, and we're happy to share it with the Downey's Mike Podcast listeners. Watch well, fantastic, Auntie M. Oh, you, you, oh you, you sold me. You sold me on it, ITM. Thank you, Downies. Yeah, bye. Bye-bye. Take care, ITM. Well, that was certainly a fascinating interview, and, and we hope to hear more from ITM when she's got lots of stories to tell. Well, uh, let's go over to our forecast. We'll close things out here. For today, Wednesday, May 4th, 2022, we have rain, unfortunately, uh, patchy fog before 11 a.m. The high is near 51. At least it's not going to snow. Uh, new precipitation amounts between a quarter and a half an inch. For tonight, rain mainly before midnight. But you know what? A sunny stretch ahead from Thursday through, well, as far as the eye can see, as far as the National Weather Service can see, uh, just sunny days, a high at 62, 58 to 62, right? Just nice days. I hope they don't make you work too much out there. And until next time, this is Down East Mike wishing you and your loved ones a day that is full of grace, love, and kindness. We'll see you.
Main board.